the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, 505 here on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline, the third day of February, in case you weren't keeping track. And good to have you on board the midweek um, midpoint in the week edition of Lifeline and uh, lots lots to talk about on the program tonight. A little bit later on we're going to meet Grace Fox. Grace is the author of nine best-selling books and um, in the wake of the ongoing COVID crisis and I've discovered coincidentally just today that there are a total of three people, three additional people that I know including a former colleague that have all contracted COVID-19, I'm sorry, four people. And, um, of course, we continue to wait for the distribution of the vaccine, even as concerns are being raised by one of them in terms of the possibility of side effects and anaphylactic shock. I mean, wow, such a time as this. And the Bible says that there will be times when men's hearts would fail for fear. We're going to talk a bit about God's solution to dealing with anxiety and how to find hope in times of crisis. Grace Fox has a new book out. We'll discuss that with her later on in tonight's program. If you've been following the news in recent weeks, months, years, you've probably drawn the same conclusion as many of us have, that truth seems to be in short supply these days even as there's talk about alternative facts and the notion that somehow solid truth doesn't exist, we all get to have our own truth. And of course, what's problematic about that is when we look at truth from the perspective through the lens of Scripture, we know that there is a truth. Not your truth, my truth, and everybody else's truth, but a truth when it comes to who we are and who God is. And yet as we see the continuing decline of truth being debated in so many other arenas, not only spiritually, but uh, to be sure, uh, politically, it's becoming more and more problematic. You perhaps have seen even some of the debate concerning the junior representative from Georgia and statements that have been made that's now calling for removal of committees and things of this sort. My fear is, as we sometimes engage, and let me choose my words wisely here, as people who wish to associate themselves with or be identified with Bible-believing evangelicals, Christians, make statements that are clearly significant departures from anything even resembling the truth, that the unregenerated world, seeing this, We'll take very broad aim. We'll take a shotgun approach to such matters. And as a result, in the process, our attempts to deliver genuine truth gets waylaid 
because of the context or manner in which other comments are being made that maybe you're not so based on truth. So what of 21st century cancel culture? And is there a concerted effort going on in particular to try and silence evangelicals? Let's talk about it. Dr. Jim Dennison joins us. He is the author and founder of the Dennison Forum, the author of multiple best-selling books, also a senior fellow with the 21st Century Wilberforce Initiative. He serves, too, as a senior fellow for global studies at Dallas Baptist University's Institute for Global Engagement. And Dr. Dennison, always a delight and an education to have you join us. Craig, thanks so much. So glad to be back on with you in Northern California again today. You know, this is a, this is a challenging topic that we're going to spend some time talking about today because, of course, as Bible-believing Christians, being truth-tellers is job number one. Proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, job number one for us. And yet, in sort of this broader um, debate regarding what is true and what isn't true on so many other levels, in so many different arenas, that I'm fearful that this so-called broad-stroke of attempting to try and squash anything that is considered to be an inconvenient truth, or maybe truthful but a bit painful and therefore can't be spoken. And uh, you point to a number of cases that we've seen recently, and we know that there have been people in the news in relationship to um, platforms like Facebook and Twitter uh, shutting accounts down because of the perception of either what was said wasn't truthful or the perception of what was said, though being truthful perhaps, uh, might be perceived by some to not be very nice. And and my fear is that in this society, when we're trying to be extra vigilant and perhaps hyper overprotective um, uh, of of the feelings of others, that in the end, truth will end up becoming a major victim here. Witness, for example, a recent experience, and you can uh, you can sort of unpack this for our listeners, uh, Dr. Dennison, mm-hmm. but the recent experience of our friends over at Focus on the Family simply pointing out a truth, not disputed, regarding a cabinet appointment and the issue of gender dysphoria. Reveal a little bit for listeners what's going on here. You bet. So focus on the family, obviously, a long-term ministry, an organization that has seemed to have enormous credibility, at least in the evangelical world, over a long period of time. They have a publication called The Daily Citizen. January 19th, they tweeted that President Biden's nominee for Assistant Secretary of Health, Rachel Levine, is, quote, a transgender woman, that is, a man who believes he is a woman. As a result, Twitter locked the magazine out of its account, informing them that they violated Twitter's use rules forbidding so-called hateful conduct. The magazine appealed, and the platform refused to overturn its ban for the statement that a transgender woman is a man who believes he is a woman. That got them kicked off of Twitter. That language was not on any level. As you said, it wasn't hateful. It wasn't inflammatory. It was in no sense attacking anybody. It was simply stating a fact, but it violated in Twitter's mind its rules relative to hateful conduct. And that's a canary in the coal mine for us as we understand where evangelical morality is headed relative to the cancel culture. 
you know, rightfully so, that there should be, I think, concern over this. Uh, because, and we saw this going back to the days of the, the revelation of uh, Bruce Jenner um, and the process of change that he was undergoing, and there reached a certain point where um, you were chastised in mainstream media and quite forcefully, if you dared, referred to Bruce Jenner as he as opposed to she, even though that is a chosen identity that is not in keeping with, uh, well, quite frankly, um, science or biology mm -hmm. or uh, the, the, the historical uh, condition under which Bruce Jenner was born. And, you know, I, I think what's problematic about this, Dr. Dennison, is that, as you point out, the canary in the mind demonstrating just the, the, the potential danger here, that as this continues to spread and get broader and deeper, uh, it, it's more than just a question of, well, do I run the risk of getting tossed off of Twitter or Facebook if I say something that, that some you know nameless, faceless panel of experts or judges deems to be out of hand, inappropriate, or whatever? Uh, the broader question of, are we beginning to see an environment in American society today where speaking our mind, telling the truth of any sort becomes problematic? And, and you know, at what point do we say, even though you and I can agree the sun is shining, somebody who believes that it isn't, uh, we don't dare correct them because to do so would put ourselves in jeopardy. I mean, it, you just have to wonder how far this is going to go. You really do. Really, what's behind this, and we all understand this, but it may help to put it perhaps in kind of a cultural context. Back in the 1960s, we started this so-called sexual revolution, the postmodern shift that says truth is personal, individual is objective. Your body is yours to do with as you wish. That leads to abortion, of course. That leads to eventual legalization of same-sex marriage. And now LGBTQ individuals are seen as a protected class. If I speak biblical truth into that conversation, that's seen as hate speech on the same level as if I was speaking relative to racial prejudice. If I, as a pastor, refuse to do a same-sex wedding, that in their mind is the same thing as if I was refusing to do an interracial wedding. They don't see any difference at all. So they see me as being just as bigoted, just as prejudiced, if I speak biblical truth relative to LGBTQ behavior, as if I were to speak in the context of racial discrimination or racial prejudice. And the response that we're seeing across the culture is what you would predict. In a world that has decided that tolerance is the only value ultimately that matters, unless you're considered to be intolerant. And this slippery slope down which we are quite obviously headed, um, can really move to the point of not just seeing First Amendment rights being trampled upon, but entering into a period of time where this sense of hypervigilance by some of these platforms, um, as it spreads throughout society and, and the greater uh, culture at large, can, can create an environment where suddenly everybody is policing everybody and we can no longer say anything. I mean, witness, for example, and I'm sure you're aware of this, Dr. Dennison, here in San Francisco. Not only was it announced in the last week that the San Francisco Unified School District will be erasing the names of 44 individuals from schools across the San Francisco Unified School District for perceived inadequacies uh, to downright crimes against, you know, <laughs> insert name here, 
but along mm -hmm. with that, even even suggesting mm -hmm. that the 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 verbiage that we use in, for example, uh, acronyms uh, can no longer be used because of the perception that it's unkind to people that are not native English speakers, and so mm -hmm. suddenly everything is now being scrutinized and I, I think what's problematic about this is that there's there's no real sense of where the barriers lie and, and I suppose therein really lies the problem meaning if Twitter can do this today Facebook tomorrow who's to say three weeks three months three years from now um, any organization out there that chooses can essentially go in and silence you. I mean, could a could a local um, planning commission say to the church, you can't put a cross on your building because it can be seen from the street and some people might find that offensive. I mean, where do we draw the line? One of the things I'm especially concerned about at this very point, Craig, is what's known as the so-called Equality Act, already passed the House. The Biden administration says it is a top legislative priority for them. If that becomes legal, if it passes the Senate in its current context, then LGBTQ individuals relative to social or sexual orientation and gender identity are lifted to a protected class in the context of the 1964 civil rights legislation with no appeal to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993. So what all of that means in practical terms are this. If the Equality Act becomes law, and for instance, a church ever rents its facilities to the public, it has to rent them for a same-sex wedding. A faith-based hospital would be required to do sex transition surgery. A faith-based adoption service or foster care service would be required to adopt or provide foster care to same-sex couples or lose their license. A church could be understood in this context to be required to exhibit tolerance in the larger culture, even if it violates their long-established religious beliefs. It's in many ways, some consider this the greatest threat to religious liberty in American history. And that... Well, and you've got to believe right that it's now. not going to... It, and you've got to believe, Dr. Dennison, that it's that's only the beginning point. It's not going to end there. I mean, it, could, could we reach a point in society where polygamy, for example, that is practiced by some uh, offshoot branches of Mormonism and, and certainly some, um, some cults that we all recognize medically, um, socially, religiously, multiple tiers, um, is just not appropriate. Can we suddenly find ourselves into a position where um, uh, suggesting the, uh, marriage between one woman, one man is now all of a sudden uh, out, outside of the norms uh, of what is uh, accepted in quote-unquote polite society? And where do you draw the line? I mean, in my mind, there's, there's you know, the this sudden floodgate here where 10, 20 years down the road, we could find absolutely no limits whatsoever. And suddenly all of the freedoms and liberties that we've held dear for more than two centuries in this nation just melt before our very eyes. Dr. Jim Dennison is well, with us today, author and founder of the Dennison Forum. We're talking about recent challenges faced by Focus on the Family in their... Um, account called Daily Citizen. Some of you may uh, perhaps even subscribe to that uh, that newsletter available through Focus on the Family. They tweeted a statement of fact pertaining to a selection by the, the administration to a um, cabinet-level position, and Twitter promptly locked the magazine out of its own account, informing Focus on the Family that it considered 
the use of the language um, a transgender woman, that is a man who believes he is a woman, was in violation of their rules forbidding so-called hateful conduct and violence, even though clearly the magazine did not um, promote violence in any form or fashion whatsoever. In fact, in a statement, Focus on the Family said, and I quote, we simply explained to our readers that the appointment defined what transgender women are, those born male who believe they are a woman, regardless of whether they have had opposite sex hormones or surgeries. We believe that Twitter's blocking of this tweet and lockdown of our account discriminates against focus on the families, the daily citizen, on the basis of our religious affiliation. Close quote. We'll come back with more of our discussion, a timeout, an update on traffic first. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We continue our conversation with best-selling author, the founder of the Denison Forum, Dr. Jim Denison. And um, Dr. Denison, I guess where this becomes a little bit complicated is that that sometimes Christians wish to instantly assert our First Amendment rights, that we have a, a right to voice our opinion. And while that certainly constitutionally is true, I think our, our broader and most immediate concern when we read stories like this, when we hear stories like this, is what potential ill effect may it have on our obligation to share the good news of the gospel. Because at the end of the day, the dissemination of my opinion, while perhaps constitutionally protected and, and, and maybe even deemed important, is not nearly as important as my ability to tell the truth as I see in Scripture and ultimately to share the good news of the gospel. How does the church respond to something like this? This is not organized effort from a governmental standpoint to try and have a chilling effect on First Amendment rights, though it may someday develop into that. But meanwhile, these companies have a right to control the content that's on their platform, And so, as the church, as believers, how do we respond to things like this? I'm so glad you brought us there, because at the end of the day, that's the eternal question, isn't it? I have three thoughts very quickly. First of all, Ephesians 4.15 calls us to speak the truth in love. So we do both of those things. We speak the truth, but we do so in the Spirit of Christ. And even if we are rejected, even if we are reviled, even if we're uh, discriminated against, we want to respond in a way that draws people to Jesus, that speaks in his spirit and ultimately elevates him, draws him up and lifts him up higher. Second, we want to do this with courage. I've been to Cuba 10 times, and I can tell you that I have a lot of Cuban friends who would say that the discrimination we're discussing today is nothing like what they face. When I was in Beijing some years ago meeting with pastors and those uh, protect or not protected, those kind of underground churches, the persecution they face, the persecution that I know of churches facing in Turkey and in the Middle East, pale, makes ours pale by comparison. So we want to do this with courage so that we stand up for Jesus to his glory. And ultimately, third, we want to do this in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us to speak the words that will most be used by him to draw people to him. At the end of the day, we can win a battle and lose a war. We can win a debate or an election and lose an eternal soul. So let's be prayerful. Let's be in the power of the Spirit. Let's be courageous. Let's speak the truth in love and trust God to use us for his eternal purposes. And I think I want, it's important to underscore, speak the truth in love. That that sadly, and, and this is just, I think, 
Dr. Dennison, a product of, of our own fallen condition, that even once we have um, tasted of the good things of the Lord and experienced forgiveness, it is easy to fall back into sort of that, that, that fleshy viewpoint of putting down others or somehow uh, suggesting that they're, they're less than we are and very eager to call out sin in a condemnatory fashion. And, and as such then sort of uh, unwittingly change the direction of the discussion in such a way that now it becomes me just exerting my, my so-called moral authority over you and not genuinely seeing you or another as an individual for whom Christ died in need of a Savior, in need of experiencing forgiveness. And so I think many times it's our attitude and the way we speak the truth and the way we share with others that can be so telling as to what our true motivations are. Absolutely. That's exactly true. And that's why we're beggars helping beggars find bread. That's why we're no better, no worse. We're just, we're all people in need of the grace of God. When I was in high school, Craig, I heard a story very quickly a youth minister told that I've never forgotten. He said, imagine you're in Carlsbad Caverns, you're in this tour group down there. There's a cave in. You're trapped in the cave. You can't get out. It's pitch black. People are digging, they're pounding, they're yelling, trying to get up. You look off in the corner. There's a pinprick of light. You make your way over there. It's an opening. You can get out. You can escape. You go back to the others, tell them where the light is. Some believe, some don't. Some get out through the light. Some are left in the cave and die. It's not that you were any better than anybody else. You simply showed them where the light was that you had been shown. That's who Mm -hmm. we are. Our job is simply to share the good news and love and do it as beggars helping beggars, knowing that there, for the grace of God, go I. It's by God's grace that we are saved through faith, and we want to share that grace with everyone we can. And that really, finally, needs to be the priority here. Uh, We have come through, as I suggested in my opening remarks, a difficult period. We're still going through aspects of of a difficult time in American history and American life. And uh, we need to make absolutely certain that we are not only tellers of truth, but we are tellers of truth in love. And we need to check our motivation. If our motivation is to make my point, come out on top, be the winner, put you down, prove how smart and clever I am and how ignorant and stupid you are, then guess what? Not only have we lost the battle before it even began, but we have completely destroyed any position of authority that we had in being able to enjoy a platform upon which we can share the good news of the gospel. If, on the other hand, our motivation is, as Dr. Dennison just mentioned, recognition that we too are sinners and that our job is, number one, to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and number two, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and the second is considered to be as great as the first, then let's make sure that our motivation, we're constantly keeping it in check, that our motivation is out of a heart of care and concern in reaching others for Christ and bringing them along the same path that we are heading down. And if that's our motivation, then I believe God will open the door. If, however, it's just about bashing somebody else over the head, then maybe seeing a risk to what we speak, is an arena that we shouldn't be all surprised to uh, to enter into, an experience we shouldn't be surprised to have once it once it befalls us. Dr. Jim Dennison, author 
and um, as we mentioned, the founder of the Denison Forum. Information available, including his insights, at denisonforum.org. That's denisonforum.org. And uh, we barely had enough time to cover that, Dr. Dennison. We'll, we've got to get you on for a longer period of time. <laughs> We're trying to unpack it. Too big of an onion. Hey, we appreciate your time, brother. Good to visit with you again. 532 from KFAX. You take care now. 532 from KFAX. Let's get a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The theme of tonight's show apparently is let's take an hour worth of content and try to squeeze it into 10 minutes. So <laughs> in keeping with the spirit of tonight's program, uh, we pivot next to a, another companion topic, and that is in in the wake of what we've all been experiencing. And I mentioned at the top of the hour that I've just learned today of four people that I know that have all been diagnosed with COVID-19, and we'll all hear of more uh, as we continue to work through this and the vaccines get distributed and so forth. And, of course, what this does to our psyche, our sense of well-being, um, is very disquieting. We're 10 months heading into 11 months into this experience, and while there's a sense of an end in sight, What's that going to look like? And will there be mutations? And will we be constantly having to be uh, vaccinated um, on an annual basis? Will face masks be something that is required in large gatherings for the foreseeable future? Who knows? In the midst of all of this, though, the question is, how do we manage this sense of fear? How can we find hope in crisis. Well, Grace Fox, the author of nine best-selling books, has uh, tackled the broader topic of the issue of finding hope and being able to deal with the stress that relates to fear and anxiety in a new book called Finding Hope in Crisis, Devotions for Calm in Chaos, newly published by Rose Publishing. And Grace, thanks for spending some time with us tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. Walk us through this issue. Why did it become important in, enough to you to decide that you needed to sit down and write a book and, and share some insights to help the rest of us? Well, I originally came up with the concept for this book more than two years ago. And it, it was picked up by the publisher uh, just in about spring of 2020. So really, the concept was born long before the pandemic came. And the concept was that when we run into crisis, and it's, it's not a question of if, it is a question of when. We just don't know when it's going to hit or what it's going to look like. But um, when we get into that place, we, we really need encouragement that comes from the Word of God. But when we're in that place, we're often so busy just scrambling to get the things done that need to be done in order to cope with it, or our minds are numb, or we're exhausted, and we can't sit down and read a long passage of Scripture to find that encouragement, let alone recall what we read later. So I wanted to write a resource that was doable for people whose minds were on overload, where they could read something, get a nugget that they could hang on to and remember and carry with them throughout the day. And then the pandemic came along, which has just exaggerated all the crises that we're going through anyways. 
Well, that's so true. And, you know, ironically, the one challenge that we've seen, and I hear this from folks all the time, even when they say, Craig, I, I try to step back from this. I, I understand that it's not good to obsess or be so self-absorbed. And yet it seems like in the case of COVID, every time I turn around, if it's not reaching to me through the news, I, I'm hearing the next door neighbors talking about a son or a daughter that was diagnosed with it. As I say myself personally, a telephone call and a text message just today telling me about four more people that I know within my circle, two, one of which is a former colleague, that's now been diagnosed with COVID-19 and hospitalized. And so there's that sense of, even if I try to stay away from the news, this seems to find me. And I would imagine for a lot of folks, it makes the ability to try to put this in perspective or to really even focus on ways in which we can uh, deal with how we're reacting to this overwhelming sense sometimes of fear or anxiety in relationship to this event or others like it. It's not just COVID. I mean, this is the broader issue that many people deal with. When things happen in life, we just we sometimes just don't know how to manage them. And we know we can find help and direction inside of Scripture. But my goodness, how do we turn off this nagging sense that we're, we're just being overwhelmed? Yeah, I, I really hear what you're saying, because I have been in exactly the same position with almost being afraid to go on Facebook anymore, because there's always somebody that's dying, and it's, uh, you know, a friend or a it's a, a parent of a friend. I lost my mom last fall in all of this, but uh, what I would love to suggest to your readers as a solution to this worry and fear is, it's found in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and I'm going to take that apart for a minute, but it just says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so what, what I like to do is, is think of this like a mathematical equation. And on the left side, as you look at a paper, you look at the, a mathematical equation. On the left side of the equal sign, we have to have three, three parts there to that equation. And the first one is do not be anxious about anything. And I think, whoa, that is so much easier said than done. But what we, what we need to do sometimes is like, like just stand there and put your hand out when, when the fear starts coming and taking over the mind again. Put your hand out, palm out, and just say, stop it right there. I am not going there. I am just not. And, and to, to take an intentional stance, realizing that whatever we're afraid of, it, the more we fixate on it, the more real estate space it takes up in our brain. So it just gets larger and larger and larger in our thinking until we can't think of anything else. And that's why we just have to say, not going there. And, and we have to change what we fixate on. So do not be anxious. Like, stop thinking about that. In every situation, by prayer and petition, that's the second part of it. So use those thoughts when they when they're scary thoughts that come in. Just use that as a trigger, not to entertain it, but to turn it into prayer. And just like sometimes, all we can do is manage two word prayers, like Jesus help, Jesus help. You know, I find myself doing that. Uh, and then the third thing is Thanksgiving. And for years, I just focused on the prayer part of it, but. But I didn't find peace. I was just more and more fixated on the problem because uh, I'd forgotten about the Thanksgiving part of it. And so we don't give thanks that our friends are getting sick. We don't give thanks for that. 
but we give thanks that in the midst of all this mess, that God is still faithful, and He still promised to never leave us or forsake us, and He will see us through. So it's those three things. Just don't think on these things. Like, be intentional about choosing where we put our thoughts, pray about them, give thanks, and then comes the equal sign, and on the other side of that equal sign is the peace of God that surpasses human understanding, will guard our heart and our minds. But if you miss out on any one of those three things, you don't get the the peace that's on the other side of that equal sign. And learning, once again, to surrender becomes so important. It's easy sometimes to surrender to the fear, the emotion, where we're at, mm-hmm. and kind of wear that like a like a suit. And yet the kind of surrendering that God wants us to do is to surrender to Him, to surrender the circumstances to Him, that realize in the moment when we feel the most out of control, He is the most in control. But oftentimes we don't recognize that because we get so caught up in the emotion of the moment, we become paralyzed. And so that sense of learning how to surrender to Him, and Grace, you pointed out, and how do we do that? We do that through prayer, through thanksgiving, and and really coming to the understanding that if we want to be able to take our mind off of the focus of the anxiety and the worry, we've got to replace it with something. Otherwise, that vacuum uh, is going to invite those those fears to come back in again. But focused on prayer and thanksgiving can really be key. It can be. And thanksgiving, it releases uh, healthy hormones into our system, hormones that are associated with the feelings of contentment and pleasure. So when, when Scripture says that we are to give thanks in all things, it's because God created our bodies and He knows how we function best. And so He's saying, give thanks, give thanks. This is the will of God. And so when we do that, it goes against our human bent, because our human bent wants to go, oh, I don't know what to do. And, you know, it, it'll go towards the fear. It doesn't bend naturally towards God. It bends away from God and the things of God. And so we've got to reel it back in and and fight hard with thanking God for who He is, thanking Him that He's got us in in His care, thanking Him that He's our shepherd. And when He knows we need to lie down, and take a rest. He will look after us. You know, He is our shepherd and our well-being. That's His responsibility. So we just need to really look for those things to be thankful for and write them down. Write them down. And then if, if we hit a day or a time when we don't feel very thankful, we can go back to that list that we've written down. Pull out the list. Exactly. It's so easy to come up with a list of all the things that we miss and we don't have in in the wake of covid but to come up with a list of the things that we still have and the ways in which god continues to look after us and and uh, bless us and as grace points out in times of of great fear and anxiety pull out that list grace fox again the book is called finding hope in crisis devotions for calm in chaos newly released by rose publishing you'll find it through grace's website gracefox.com or the usual suspects, including Amazon, or again, online at gracefox.com. 5.46, let's get an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
we have talked in the past about what seems to be sort of this game of ping pong that we play every four or eight years with the arrival of a new administration. It began, to my recollection, in the days of Ronald Reagan when it was decided, no, we won't take U.S. taxpayer dollars and pay for abortions overseas, as one example. Um, And ironically, things like the Title X funding, the Mexico City policy, and others, uh, through the, the writ of executive order, bounces back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, as can be anticipated with the new administration, it's happened yet once again, as uh, this time around the current administration is working to neutralize the Hyde Amendment. Well, we'll spend a moment in talking about exactly what the Hyde Amendment is, why it was passed by Congress, and why, at a level, somebody needs to take the power of the pen away from the president when it comes to the degree and number of executive orders, particularly on issues like this that are settled law. And to give us more insight, we're joined by Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee and host of Life Matters, which comes your way every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And you know, what's particularly troubling about this, Brian, is that we've long discussed the fact that a strong majority of Americans do not favor using tax dollars to cover abortion. And certainly the, the intent of the original Hyde Amendment related to Medicaid uh, touches to that core of that very issue. And yet, even though it's settled law and has survived court challenges, every time a Democrat administration comes into office, they sign an executive order doing away with the Hyde Amendment. Give us some insight into exactly what this amendment is, why it's important, and is there anything we can do to stop this charade? Yes, uh, Craig, you're exactly right. And the good thing is that this one, the president cannot sign an executive order because, as you know, he's been signing dozens of executive orders. But you cannot sign an executive order dealing with existing law He can undo, and most of what he's been doing has been undoing, obviously on life issues, but on many other issues, he's been undoing what President Trump had signed as executive order. And so the Hyde Amendment, as you correctly point out, this goes back to 1984. And let me me add to that. Throughout its life history, it had the support of Democrats, including a certain... Mr. Biden. In fact, Joe Biden supported the Hyde Amendment until he made the decision to run for president. So this is an issue that I'm going to encourage you. You know, a lot of times we talk, Craig, it seems discouraging in California, but it doesn't matter who your member of Congress is, if they're a Democrat, if they're a hardcore lefty, if they're a hardcore pro-abortion Democrat, you should still call them because Democrats understand this goes beyond simply allowing abortion. This is about the government underwriting and promoting abortion. And there's quite a few. Already we have 120 signatures. What Mr. Biden has done is he's asked a study group, and he wants Congress. Now, again, in Congress, things are very close. He wants Congress to overturn the Hyde Amendment. They have to act. 
And that's where we have opportunity. Again, if you live anywhere in the Bay Area, the odds are you have a Democrat member of Congress who probably says, oh, I'm pro-choice. Well, that doesn't mean we have to pay for it. Think of it this way. If you want to help your progressive pro-abortion friends, if the Second Amendment stands, that's one thing, but it's pretty clear that a Democrat who is uncomfortable with the Second Amendment, if somebody says, well, not only is there a Second Amendment, but we want the government buying our guns. We want the government to pay for our guns. And, and this is what Hyde does, Hyde pays for abortion in the abortion industry. So what if the Second Amendment debate was, now we want the government to bias the guns and to pay for the shooting ranges in every town? to promote gun ownership. Well, obviously, a progressive leftist would say, wait a second, it's one thing to own a gun, but we we have to stop somewhere. We're not going to have the government paying for it. That's exactly the same issue in abortion. If they want to say, well, there's a right to an abortion, yeah, and there's a right to own a car, and there's a right to own a gun, the government doesn't have to pay for those things in a particular if it's killing a human baby. And even Joe Biden had that commitment up until he decided to run for president of the United States. And the reason, of course, you saw it in the Democrat primaries, the Democrat Party has gone so far, so far overboard, he had to jettison the last vestige of seeming like a moderate. And that was really the Hyde Amendment. So I'm going to encourage folks, right now we have 120 members of Congress that have already signed a letter, but your member of Congress should say, you know, we're not going to fight and die in this. We don't need the government to have to pay for everything. It's a very important principle of the law. It's a very important principle that has stayed in our laws since 84. And so this is something that you can speak to your representative about, and you have every good reason to expect if they're going to be rational that they can agree with you on this. So that's what Hyde does. And we know that there are some states, that's not a very uh, large number of them, but there are some states who have decided contrary to uh, the letter of the law or the spirit of the Hyde Amendment have nevertheless uh, continued at their own expense to voluntarily fund abortions. Um, yeah. And I suppose if the if the residents of a, of a given state of one of those states uh, selects that, well, th- th- there it is. But to to the broader California, degree, yeah. Um, and ca- yeah, California, <laughs> no surprise there, right? Is there anything yeah. that can be done to try to address that at the state level? Well, you know, in our state, it's a much it's a much higher mountain to climb because. The radical members, again, the Democrat Party is now controlled by the most radical members of that party, and especially on abortion. That's been the case in California for a while. In the federal government, the Congress is barely controlled now by the Democrats, and there are Democrats who are trying to not be all that, they're they're uncomfortable with going all the way to a statist control of every human life. They're very uncomfortable about the oppressive force 
that they're bringing to bear on the government and on the people of this nation. And it's very reasonable, even if someone, even if you recently contacted your member of Congress, again, the people you send to Washington, and they responded and say, well, I'm actually, I believe in a woman's right to choose. Okay. Okay. We, we'll go over that another time, but we don't have to pay for it, and we haven't been paying for it. And even Joe Biden, up until just this election, thought we shouldn't pay for it. We're asking you to draw a line. That's all we're asking, for the government to promote abortion. Again, understand that we're really, in the largest sense, I just had to write on this, if you saw our most recent email last. Remember, the media, the dominant media, they're not there to inform you. They're there to inculcate a culture into you. That's what they're doing. They want you to adopt their worldview. And there's a great difference between choosing something and making someone do something, making someone buy something, making that happen and underwriting it. So, again, remember, you're free to choose to buy a Cadillac or a Vespa. You're free to choose any mode of transportation you want to buy. But that's very different than, than making me pay for your Cadillac. Yeah, that's yourself. exactly right. And, 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 and therein is the line in the sand that needs to be drawn. Um, you know, not that we're supporting uh, abortion in any form or fashion whatsoever, but as a starting point to address the inequity of all of this, um, at least saying to the taxpayer, we're not going to obligate you to pay this, is something that the Hyde Amendment intended to do, and it ought to be upheld. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. The program, Life Matters, Saturday mornings at 11, right here on KFAX. Deeper details? Easy. Go to CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. Six o'clock from KFAX. Let's get you updated on traffic.